Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Surviving Life's Crashes. Is Surviving Life's Crashes, 2 Kings 1, 1 to 4. Some of us crashed this week, didn't we? We've all had many crashes, haven't we? Speaking of crashes, I was thinking, reminded me of this, what we're going to be looking at, this story reminded me of something that happened when I was a kid. We were on the farm and we used to play hide and seek. And there was one barn that we loved to play hide and seek in. It was right across the road and it was a real old barn and it it was one of those where there wasn't used anymore so it was clean, you know. And we'd go play hide and seek and the downstairs were where they had some cows at one time. And then you go up the steps and there was like the hayloft and the second floor. And it was just really cool, all these ladders and hiding places. One of these really big old barns. It was really, really cool. The kind they don't build anymore. They're mostly falling down but they kept this one up nice. So because this was clean, there were no cows in this barn, we would all go play hide and seek in there. And we were, I remember we were playing this hide-and-seek, but we didn't just go, like, I'll go hide, one, two, three. It was like a running, chasing hide-and-seek game, you know, it was active. And we were chasing each other, and, and everybody's trying to hide, and you're trying to see where they're coming from, different floors, and you're climbing up ladders and crazy. And one, one I don't remember who did it, but one of the things we do is you come to the top of the steps, and there was a trap door. And they would, you'd open the trap door, and they used to throw the hay down, because it was loose hay way back. They'd throw the hay down through the trap door to the cows below. And then they'd move it around to the different cows and stalls. But one of the kids was trying to see who was, where the chaser was coming. And he opened the trap door to see who was coming. He saw him and he ran off without shutting the trap door. And the chaser came running up. His name was Artie. I'll never forget. Artie. Art, Artie came running up. Everybody was Artie, Chucky. Everybody, you know, running up the stairs. And the door was open. And he went flying down. And underneath the trap door there was cinder blocks. We saw him disappear. We all went running down there. And I just remember we all gathered around him. We were scared. He, he, was like, uh, uh, uh. he couldn't breathe. You know, we we're like, he might die. We're all sitting there. He might die. And it wouldn't be the first time we lost a friend. The next farm over, Art's farm, Artie's farm, a friend of uh, one of our friends was, was killed there in the hayloft. And, uh, he was up helping unload hay, and, and the, the, there was a short in the electrical, and it got onto the, the, elect, the, the metal elevator, and when our, my friend touched the elevator to unload the hay, he was electrocuted and killed. Right up, right, One farm, right, we could see right from right the next farm over, Artie's farm. So it wouldn't have been the first time. We thought, oh my goodness, we're going to lose Artie. And we're all gathered around, and he's like, <gasps> and we're like, get up, Artie, get up. He got up. Slowly but surely, he gets up. The game was over. He did not die. Uh, Tiny Tim, right? He did not die. Uh, but, but he was sore and he went home and we weren't allowed to play in that barn anymore, unfortunately. Uh, but farm kids are tough. He survived, but, but, it, but it was scary. It was really, really scary. We're going to look at a fall today. Art, Art's fall, Artie's fall was an accident. And he survived. But today we're going to see someone who falls and doesn't survive. And it was no accident. It was no accident. How and why he was killed was no accident, as we'll see. And there's spiritual lessons for us individually and for us as a country. The USA Today, there's some really important spiritual lessons. Because we all experience many 
crashes in life, don't we? I got I mean, they're, they're constant. I got a call, uh, not call, a message from uh, the Simons in the Philippines that, hey, you better get in touch with Josh and Mark. We just had this giant earthquake shake, shaking, uh, you know, they were in Davao. Big earthquake, that's where Brian and Patty were. Big earthquake. It's, uh, Russ said it's the first time I've ever been afraid in the Philippines of an earthquake because it was so big, 6.5. And he said, and on top of that, there's a polio outbreak. So tell, tell Josh to get his booster. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, oh, this is like at 6 in the morning when I wake up. Yeah. And I'm like contacting them. But that's like, I'm like, just, and I wrote, back, I wrote to them and I said, uh, are you guys okay with the earthquake and the polio? And, and Vanessa wrote back and said, everything's fine. We don't, the earthquake didn't touch us and we haven't had any polio here yet. All, we haven't had anything. Everything's fine. Just all we have is suicide bombers. And I wrote back to her and I said, LOL, just suicide bombers. Yeah, that's all they're dealing with. Yeah, a day in the life, right? So, uh, but many crashes, many crashes. It, it, you don't have to be in the Philippines. We all experience many crashes, don't we? The way that we respond to these crashes is the key to our survival, both spiritually and physically. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for letting us be in the word. Lord, we've all crashed. Maybe some of us crashed this morning. We've all crashed. We've crashed in so many different ways. And Lord, we just need your mercy and grace now. Lord, we need your mercy and grace to survive these crashes. We just pray that you would help us each to take a step forward in our faith and in our, in our spiritual walk. And if anybody here does not know Jesus, today would be the day they put their faith in Jesus and give their life to him. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read the, the chapter. We're only going to do the first four verses today, but I'm going to read the chapter. This is going to take us a couple weeks. We're going to spend a couple weeks. This will be part one today, but let me just read the chapter because it all goes together. After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask him, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to off to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. Actually, I'm just going to stop there. Uh, Heather, we're just going to stop there on the verses because, like I said, I'm going to probably take at least another week on this passage. So, when messengers returned to the king, he asked them, why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied, and he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and tell him, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no king, I'm sorry, is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending men to consult Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you about this? They replied, he was a man with garments of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elisha, the Elijah the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on top of the hill and said, Man of God, 
The king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says, come down at once. If I'm a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire... The fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and, and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged. Please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men. Your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all the, these men but now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down to the king, with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it, is it because there's no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Wait till next time when we finish that chapter. Some really deep stuff in here. But today we're just going to focus on the first four verses. But our story really starts back in the chapter before. In 1 Kings 22, verse 51, this is where the story really starts. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother and in the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger just as his father had done. So it really starts back here when Ahaziah becomes the king. He's Ahaziah son. He becomes the king. He's wicked just like his mother and father, Ahab and Jezebel. We've spent a lot of time on that, right? But we see the very next thing, after he talks about his wickedness, he becomes the king, his wickedness. The very next thing that happens, 2 Kings 1, 1, after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Moab re rebels, and this is God's judgment. Connect the dots. This is God's judgment. When God begins to judge a nation, he starts to weaken its power. He causes them to start to lose wars and to lose territory. Right? History, right? That's what history teaches. If you know anything about history, that, I'll give you one great example. Great Britain. Or we should say, not so great Britain. There was a time, some of you remember, there was a time when the sun never set on the British Empire. But they barely get any sunset these days. And, and the reason is, they were a great nation until they stabbed Israel in the back. They promised Israel that they would help them get their homeland. But when it came time to do this, before World War II, before, when it came time to do this, they stabbed them in the back, left them out to hang. And you know what happened in World War II with the Nazis, with the Nazis with how many Jews they killed. They, they stabbed them in the back. And God used World War II to judge Britain. And they were decimated. They became, they, by the end of the war, they were a shell of their former self. 
And that's because of the way that they treated Israel. Keep your eyes open. There are many national sins in the USA today. Thank God we're still right now supporting Israel, but many national sins. If there's no revival or a spiritual awakening in this country, the USA could be very, the, next, the very next one. We could end up the same place that not so great Britain ended up. Very, very easy. Very, very easy. Russia breaks up. You, know, you hear all this stuff about Texit and, and Calexit. And, you know, God, God is, we could be shocked in a very short time what God does in this country if there's not a revival and a spiritual awakening, a true repentance. So judgment 2 comes the very next verse in 2 Kings 2.2. 2, the very next judgment comes. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. This is... This is judgment number two. King Ahaziah has fallen and he can't get up. And he never will. The nation had already begun to fall. And now it's Ahaziah's turn to crash. Because he had driven through God's red light. God had thrown up the red light and he drove right through it. Just like his parents had done. And now he is on the bed of affliction. The bed of affliction. And this is God's mercy, actually. God was given him time to repent, right? He was given time. He didn't die. He could have just fallen through and died. But he was given time to repent. This is God's mercy, the bed of affliction. In fact, in Psalm 119, it talks about how God uses affliction in all of our life, as much as we don't like it. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your words. Verse 71, It was good for me to be afflicted. So that I might learn your decrees. That's the whole purpose of affliction. When God gives us affliction, he's trying to grow us spiritually. Many times he's trying to, to, to warn us and to, if we're headed in a dangerous direction. We're headed in a dangerous direction. God warns us with afflictions. Even when we're doing well, God uses trials. We've talked about this many times. He uses the trials to, even if we're doing well, he does it to get our attention and get us growing, to move us forward spiritually. That's why the whole purpose of, of, of these trials, these afflictions. Remember when Joshua was getting ready to go to the Philippines? He felt God was leading him. He was going to go. And then he started, remember he shared this, he started to lose his focus. said, well, maybe I won't really go. Maybe I'll think about it. Maybe next year. And he was out goofing around with his friends and he witnessed that terrible accident. Remember he shared that? And he, and, and he was right behind a, a head-on collision. He was the first one to open the doors, saw terrible, terrible things, children involved. And... I'll never forget, he came home and he's like, I'm going to the Philippines now. This is what I just saw. God is sending me a message. Don't waste time. And I said, Josh, it's no accident that you witnessed that accident. And that's what God does. He, he gets our attention. Even Sometimes we're going the wrong direction, but even when we're going the right direction, he wants to refocus us and get us focused and moving forward, and he uses affliction. Ahaziah's fall was affliction, but it really was God's mercy and grace. He could have, God could have said, coming home right now, he falls through, that, falls through the floor, and, and, but he doesn't die. He's still alive. 
God gave him, gave him time to respond. You know us all what, how God responded to Ahab? He forgave Ahab, gave him more time. He would have done the same for Ahaziah. But, but how does he respond? Let's go back to 2 Kings 1, verse 2. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. Wait till you hear this. Wait till we really understand what he did. Instead of turning back to God, Jehovah God, the one true God, he ignores his warning, he ignores the mercy time he has been given, and he turns to an idol for guidance. He turns to an idol for comfort. He turned to Beelzebub. Beelzebub, Baal is a, is a term for the gods of Canaan, the fertility gods, could be any, you know, that's just a general term for God, God, small g. But the rest of the name tells you which one it was and what he was known for. And Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. You've probably read the book. Lord of the Flies, you've seen the movie. Lord of the Flies, that's who he goes to. You see, in Ekron, at this time, and even now, if you travel there, in Ekron, there were many flies. Ekron, the land of the, uh, the Philistines, was known for the flies and the diseases. The diseases that were spread through the flies. That's what it was known for. Uh, and so because of all these diseases and the swarms of flies, it's like living in swampland. You know, you live in the swampy area and you know, you're going to always be afraid of the diseases. This was known for flies and the diseases that they spread. And so they hoped that Beelzebub, by worshiping Beelzebub, they would be protected from the diseases and, and the scourge of, of the, the, the pestilence and the plagues that would come because of these flies. There were flies everywhere. Now, most of you can't relate to what it's like to live in Akron, but I can because I grew up on a farm, a dairy farm, all right, where there was lots of cow manure, all right, we call it something else. But anyway, uh, lots of cow manure, there, and there were flies everywhere. People come to our house and they, why do you hate flies so much? If there's a fly in there, i got to kill it, you know, I, you, you you could make a sitcom out of me killing flies. You know, the kids are like, here he goes. You know, I got this whole thing. Shut lights off. Get the light here. You know, kill it. I got to kill it. I, gotta, I hate flies. It's because I grew up on a farm. There was a lot of flies. I, I hate them. We had not just regular flies, which were bad enough, but we had horse flies. Oh, I was at the pool with the kids not too, when it was warm. I was over at the pool with them, and there was these giant horse flies at the pool. And I, every time I saw it, I had to kill it. And the lifeguards are looking at me like, this guy's crazy. I'm like, I, go, I hate him. I hate him. You know, I just, you know, giant horse flies. I, was, I killed like 10 of them, you know. They were very impressed with my fly-killing abilities. But uh, <laughs> flies everywhere. It, think of you going to the beach. And those black flies that land on you and bite you while you're trying to enjoy the beach. You know how much you hate that? Imagine swarms of them. That's what it was like in Ekron. That's what it was like on the farm. We hated flies. We had zappers, but the best way we got rid of them, we would, we would bring the cows in in the summer. By this time of year, they're all gone. But we'd bring them in, in the summer, and the flies would just swarm in with the, with the cows because of the manure and the laying the eggs and all this stuff on the barnyard. They would just follow the cows in, and we would walk in, lock them up and there would just be flies everywhere so we'd shut the doors shut the windows make it as airtight as we could and we got out the fogger we had a fogger yeah we had this this machine that you could carry and it had a bottom full of poison and it had a tube that ran in and you'd 
plug it in and hit the switch and this fog would come out. You know, you know the horror movies, the fog. Well, this was a fogger. And you'd just go through and, and die, flies, die. You know, the whole barn would just be this cloud of this poisonous gas. And my dad gave us this little mask to wear. We usually didn't bother to wear it because it was inconvenient. Yeah, and I uh, couldn't really breathe. So I would just, we would like take a big breath. <laughs> They tried to find an area where there wasn't any fog and take another breath, you know, and, and our, our eyes would be burning, you know. It's a miracle I'm alive, right? Forget killing flies. It's a miracle I'm alive. It, 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 it's just crazy. But that, that's the life, you know, I'm just like, die flies. But it's crazy. I, you know, we survived the, this poison, you know, you know, spraying and breathing it. And uh, it, it's the life of the farmer. I'll never forget my dad. And I'm, this is, anyway, I'm going to tell the story. My dad, you know, we used to have fruit trees. And, and he'd be out filling up the, 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 the sprayer. He'd have to hook to the tractor and the fruit trees. And he, he'd be putting water in and he'd be mixing pesticides. And my dad would be out spraying. And he would be covered head to toe, white head to toe from pesticides. And we would follow the sprayer. And we'd get out. You know, we're all covered with pesticides, you know. It, it, it's crazy, right? But most farmers live to a grand old age. It's very, right? Right? Most, most of you grandpas, yeah, they live, uh, somehow they survive this. It must be all that whole milk they drink and red meat they eat daily that, <laughs> that absorbs the toxins. I don't know. I don't know. But the Philistine country was prone to flies, and they had no fogger. They had no way to deal with these filthy animals that were spreading disease. And you know how flies spread their disease. You know how they eat. They throw up the acid from their stomach on your food, and then they and then they dissolve, and then they have that straw. They slurp it up, you know. And uh, they're still allowed to use straws, uh, you know, flies. But we can't. But they can. But we won't go there. We won't go there. But uh, uh, they've been this. I'm just going to say this. They banned straws in San Francisco, but they give out the needles for free. The needles, you know, are free. Uh, somehow you should ban them both at the same time, you know. But anywho, uh, we won't go there. So they throw up on their food and they spread this disease. And so they depended on Beelzebub for protection. The archaeologists in the Philistines, they've actually found the golden fly idols. They found these little idols, the golden flies. They, they found them. And that's all because of Beelzebub. And King, this is who King Ahaz turns to for guidance. Because many of the idols of that time had a reputation for foretelling the future. They could tell, they, they could be like going to the palm reader or the astrology. They could tell the future. And they would go to this, this, this particular god, Beelzebub, had a reputation for foretelling the future. So King Ahab turns to the Lord of the flies for answers. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? Instead of Jehovah God, who called down fire from heaven, remember Mount Carmel, brought down fire from heaven, which Baal couldn't do. And Ahaz knew that story. He probably, he very likely was there watching the show. You know, he was probably there. And he knew right away who Elijah was. He knew what he looked like. He dressed like this. You know. He knew. He saw that. And yet he still doesn't go to Jehovah God. He goes to the Lord of the Flies. Is that crazy or what? We would never, follow me, we would never turn to something dumb instead of God when we're crashing, would we? We would never do that. Never. Hold that thought. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Hold that thought. Second Kings 
1, 3 to 4. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. God sends Elijah to rebuke Ahaziah and pronounce his death sentence. Because he wasted God's grace and mercy, right? He sends him to, to, to pronounce a death sentence. Instead of turning to the one true God for answers, you went to the demon god, Beelzebub. You have crossed the line of grace, and now you are going to die. He tells him this. Beelzebub was a demon. Understand something, why it was so serious what he was doing. Beelzebub was a demon. Demons are fallen angels who want to be worshipped just like God. That's why they were thrown out of heaven. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be worshipped just like God. And, the, and, and all idols... The Bible teaches that all idols are demonic. They're just demons that start these false religions to try to get worship. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, it's all over, but I'll just read you one. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 19, Paul says, Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I don't want you to be participants with demons. It's real. These idols represent demons, and it's for real. They're not just a simple idol. They, they are windows to the demonic. Very, very serious. And not just idols, but a lot of things in our culture now. You see it on TV, you can read in the books, you buy it on, you buy stuff. You, it, it, there's many windows to the demonic. When Kim and I, I told you this a few years ago, but when Kim and I were in Chicago, we, we were, uh, we, we're hired to house sit a mansion right by this, the seminary where, we were, where I was going to school. And we went in and we were going to house sit for six months in this place. And they were letting us stay there for 100 hours a month. It was a great deal just in exchange for staying there. It was this huge mansion. But when we went in, there was all these idols everywhere. And at first we thought, oh, it's just art and stuff like that. But after the people left and we were there uh, in the house... We started looking around. It was a little creepy. There was all these masks and idols and from all over the world, all these different idols. And still, we thought it was a little creepy, but, you know, we didn't think much of it. But all of a sudden, all these crazy things started happening. As soon as we went in, crazy things. Lots of crazy things. In fact, it finally culminated one, like, the first or second night we were there, we heard somebody in the house, walking down the hall, running down the hall. In the house, we're like, oh my gosh, they got past the security there because there was a system there. It was, it was I, I was like, Kim, call the police. She called the police. I'm getting ready to, you know, fight some burglar. They come. There was nobody there. Oh, there was somebody there, but nobody the police could see. It was unbelievable. And we finally realized we are in a home with idols and there's a demonic, demonic spirits here. The windows are there. And we, we prayed. We prayed the blood of Jesus Christ, his protection. And, and we prayed over it, and it stopped. Until we left, there was no more issues. All of it stopped. But the, the demonic, the idols are demonic windows. And Beelzebub was a demon god. A demon god, small g god, okay? And in time, the Jews started calling him Beelzebul. Beelzebul, which is lord of the dung. The poop god, all right? Uh, that's what they're calling him. 
because they just, you know, just started detesting him. He was so detested by the Jews that they started using that name for Satan. Although Beelzebub was not Satan, they started using that as a moniker for Satan. Uh, but he's not. He's just a prince. He's an underling. Satan is the top one, and, and he's one of the underlings. He's a prince. He's a prince. By New Testament times, they were using the Greek form of Beelzebub, which many of you probably know, Beelzebub. Right? You ever hear that? Beelzebub, that's the common usage now. Uh, Beelzebub, as a, you know, different move. Movies and even cartoons and stuff. Beelzebub, Beelzebub, you know. It's, a, it's just a, it's a, the Greek form. In fact, let me read to you Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, verse 22, very interesting story. Then they brought Jesus, we're talking to Jesus. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It was only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And we see that Jesus' response proved that he was casting out demons, not by Beelzebub or Satan's power, but by the power of the Jehovah God, the one true God. That's how he was using God's, his father God's power to fight Beelzebub. And it also confirms the reality, this passage confirms the reality of the demonic powers of the idols and the effects of demonization. The word in the Bible for Greek is not demon-possessed, it's demonization and it's degrees. You can be 1%, 100%, anything in between, demonization. And that's what the Bible teaches. But you saw what happened to this man who was demonized. But demonization can take many, many different forms. we, We see it in the Bible. We see it in the USA Today. You, once you start to see things spiritually and biblically, it explains a lot about what is happening in America today. It explains a lot of these people do these crazy things, these things that are beyond comprehension. This is demonization at work. It explains a lot. Idols are demonic. When I was in India, I went on a trip to India years ago, and they have millions of gods in India. It's crazy how many different... There's literally millions of gods. But each one of them represents a demon. They, in India, are worshipping demons when they worship these idols. The USA is catching up really quickly. We're catching up quick, aren't we? With the astrology and the occult, and the New Age, which is really an old lie. Uh, the kids are softened up today by Harry Potter and the Disney Channel with all their good witches. And, and then they're taught to do yoga even in the schools. There's, uh, the yoga is also demonic. They, you know, not, not the stretches, but all the spiritual parts is completely demonic. I've talked to many people involved in it, I know. The next step then, they go on to drugs as an, another huge doorway. Drugs is a huge doorway, a demonic 
door. Whenever you take out the, the, your, your conscious will out of the equation, you have opened a demonic doorway. They start out with, with pot, which is demonic. It's a demonic doorway. It's not just pot, you know. It's a demonic doorway. Believe me. And then it goes on to a much, much worse. The demonic doorways open up much, much worse. And, and they get worse and worse. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's just shocking that what is happening in this country. You remember the book, This Present Darkness? Years ago, This Present Darkness? We are living that now. If you've never read that, read it. But this was written years ago by Preddy, but now we're seeing it's real, it's everywhere. He could be describing New Hope, Pennsylvania, right? That book. It's crazy. It's a reality in the USA today. Idols are demonic. In fact, every religion besides Christianity and, and the Judeo, uh, the Jewish religion, which worship, worships Jehovah God, every other one is demonic. Everyone, including the cults, every cult is demonic. Every religion besides Christianity and the Jewish religion, every one of them was started by demons. By demons. They're just demonic lies. All roads do not lead to God. All roads don't lead to the same God. All but one lead to hell. Every road except one leads to hell. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one way to the one true God, and that is through Jesus Christ, his one and only Son. That is the only way. Every other way is deception. It's a lie. It's a demonic lie. Every one of them. Every one. There's only one way to the one true God. It's through Jesus Christ because of what he did. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God sent his one and only Son, Jesus, to die, gave his Son to die on a cross to pay for our sin, to pay for our rebellion, to take our shame, to take our bondage, to take the strongholds in our life. To take our sin on himself. If we will believe in him. And it's not the word believe in Greek doesn't mean just know something in your head. It's a much deeper thing. It means to put your faith in. It means to know something, but it means to put your faith in with your heart. It means to totally trust and cling to. The best picture I can give you of the word is a, a word picture of, of faith and believe in the Greek is, is a little baby. When you have a little baby and, and, and as a parent, you pick that baby up and they're, they're, what do they do? They cling to you. They grab a hold of you. They hang on for dear life. They cling to you. They, you can't put them down. They're like, you know, they're all, you know, they're grabbing hold of you. They, they have put their faith in you. That's the picture of the Greek word is, is that just like every one of us is like that baby. At some point we have to say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You came back from the dead to prove you are the son of God, the one true son of God. And I put my faith in you. I cling to you. I give my life to you. Every one of us needs to take that step of faith. Have you taken it? Let me connect a couple of dots to close here. When Ahaziah crashed, let's go back to Ahaziah, he turned to an idol for answers. He turned to an idol for comfort instead of God. 
which only made his crash worse. It ended up killing him spiritually and physically because he didn't turn to the one true God. He turned to an idol and that made it worse. He ended up dying spiritually and physically. And I see this happen all the time. I'm tempted to do it all the time. We all, aren't we? I see it all the time in ministry, in, in my, with our friends and neighbors. I saw it in my own family. I'll give you an easy example of this. Our son Ryan, as you know, started using drugs about 10 years ago now. And his life crashed because of it. This kid was had just so smart. He could have done so many things with that brain of his. But his life crashed. And God tried to get his attention many times. He, he met with many afflictions and many times God tried to reach him. I'll never forget, he ended up about five years into his, his seven-year experience with drugs. About five years in, he ended up in, in, the, the, in Philadelphia in the mental hospital. He had checked himself in, said, I'm suicidal, put me in. We went down there and talked to him and, and tried to help him, tried to get him to go into a good Christian place, rehab and stuff. And he was fighting, and I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'll deal with this my way. I go, how's that working? And I said, listen, God is trying to break you. He's trying to, he let you crash for a reason. He's trying to bring you back to himself. Remember, Ryan was locked in here. You remember, he went on every mission trip, every youth group thing. He was everywhere. He, he, he was really focused until he did the drugs, opened the demonic doorway. And I said, he's trying to bring you back. And I'll never forget, Ryan said, I'm really stubborn. In that hospital, he said to me, I'm really stubborn. And, and, I, and, and then about a year later, he gets hit by a car. Hit by a car right in Lambertville. He should have been dead. Kim's like, only Ryan would survive getting hit by a car. Only him. He got whacked. Part of his ear was not cut off. He was all banged up. She went to the hospital. He got really hit. He should have died. And I said to him, I remember we're sitting in the basement talking to him. I said, Ryan, God's trying to get your attention. God starts by whispering, hey, red light. And then he, then he shouts, <laughs> right? Think of parenting. <laughs> hey, stop. Hey, stop, right? And then it's, then after that, it's a spanking. And the spankings get harder. And then, whatever it takes, smash. Then God sm smashes, lets us crash. Smash, lets us crash. And then, Ryan, there's not much left after that, is there, Ryan? After that is, is death. God is trying to get your attention. You survived the car crash. Who does that? And I just remember him still being resistant. We were hopeful. He showed some signs of hope. We were hopeful, but yet in the end, he still went back to his idols of drugs and alcohol, which finally ended up killing him. That's a picture of what I'm trying to say. I see this a lot, even with Christians. Christians who crash, and we all crash. Who hasn't? crash and hit a wall but in, instead of turning to god i even see christians turn to false idols to idols for false comfort false comfort I, 
Christians who should know better, who, who as a, they're adults now, and they, as teens, they smoke pot, and now they're 50, and they go back to smoking pot because they're going through something. I'm like, what are you doing? Going back to pot. Or they, they turn to alcohol. And I'm treading lightly because I know a lot of you have struggled with this during times of crash. I get that, right? But I've seen people turn to alcohol and, and just depend on that for their comfort when they're going through a crash. And what does it do? It makes it worse. Or, or I've seen even people go to op- you know, opioids or, or even taking their children's medicines. And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. But they're doing that because they're looking for comfort. Instead of turning to God, they're going to, and, or, 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 and also a lot of people I've seen turn to pornography and, and sexual sin because it's soothing. It was something that soothed before they became a Christian. And they turned back to that for that soothing effect. But we know it, it's an emptiness, right? And I'm not pointing fingers. We all can pick what we turn to and what we're tempted to turn to. And, and I'll, I'll be like, whoa, wait, where, where am I going with this? Whoa, turn around. go, you know, Because we have that decision. What are we going to turn to? That we all crash in life many times. The question is, where will we turn? To something or someone that will make the pain worse? Or to God? Or to God? That's the key to surviving life's crashes. Is turning to God. That's the key. And I, there are people all over our church that have gone through crashes recently and I'm seeing survival because of where they are turning. I've seen people going through cancer and surgeries, horrible, difficult cancer surgeries and treatments and they still crawl in here on a Sunday. Still crawl in here on a Sunday to, 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 to get their prayer and to reconnect with God. I've seen people losing loved ones and they still keep turning to God for that comfort in spite of losing that loved one. I see other people, other people that have gone through terrible struggles and, and emotional struggles and, and family struggles, but they still, they, they barely make it through the door. They barely make it to the Bible study. They barely make it to another Christian's home to pray, but that's where they're going. And that's why we survive. We're all going to crash, but we survive because who we turn to. And maybe you're here today, and you've never turned to Jesus. The first step, the first step is coming to the cross and putting your faith in Jesus Christ and giving your life to him. Have you ever taken that step? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever come to Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, given your life to him? That is the key to survival. That's the first step. And after that, as Christians, we keep coming to him daily for his mercy and grace. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us this morning? Maybe you're here today and you've never taken that step of faith. 
the most important step to surviving life's crashes is this, putting our faith in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can do that right now. You don't need a religious ritual or a religious rite or a religious person to help you go through this. It's between you and God. It's a prayer of faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can pray the prayer of faith right this second. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I cling to you. I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive everything I've ever done that goes against your will and your word. I repent. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you have taken that step of faith today, you've prayed that prayer of faith today, then something amazing has happened. You now have the Holy Spirit in you. You are now connected with God as your father who loves you through his son, Jesus. I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've taken that step of faith. Tell somebody. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Text, call. Tell a friend or family member you're here with. Let somebody know because we're going to be so excited and encourage you in your new life in Jesus. For the rest of us, as we close in this time of prayer, in this time of worship, how is God speaking to us? How are we being convicted? What false comfort have we turned to that really has only made things worse, that's left us empty, that's killing us spiritually? What have we turned to Father, I pray that our prayer today would be, God, I turn back to you. Whatever we're struggling with, whatever the crash we've gone through, whoever we need to talk to to get comfort and encouragement and strength. Father, we all struggle, every one of us, and I'm at the top of the list. We need you. We need your mercy and grace. Help us to turn away from faults idols to the one true God through his son Jesus Christ for your mercy and grace daily pray that in Jesus name